today on the Scott Thompson Show on 900 CHML. Now, we had Marvin Ryder, business professor at a group school of business, uh, McMaster University, on the other day, and the whole idea was to talk about General Motors and the electric vehicle program. And then, of course, we got talking about everything else. And that kind of went out the window. So we've invited Marvin back to talk about that again today, although I'm going to ask him about the U.S. election, so I'm hoping again we can at least fit GM into this. Marvin, how are you today? I hope you're doing well. Everything's just great. I just finished a three-hour class, so if something happened in the middle of the inauguration, I haven't seen it yet. Oh, no. So is it harder for the student or for the prof during a three-hour class? Uh, well, since I'm the ringmaster of the show, I always think it's a little harder on me because it's up to me to make sure all the bells and whistles go off on time. But I'm sure both of us, it's, it is grinding, but that's what we do. This is in our MBA program. Uh, good for you. Uh, and kudos to all of you that are making it work as my daughter is upstairs uh, doing it remotely or however you are making it all come together. Um, so before we get to GM, uh, your thoughts on where America is now. Um, is, is there a feeling of hope? It, it feels as if uh, we've entered a new era here. It's almost like the New Year's we didn't get to celebrate due to COVID. Yeah, in a way. So uh, what you're going to see is a reset, a reset on what a president does and how they behave, what have you. The hallmark of the Donald Trump presidency was Twitter. And and he tweeted several times a day. He didn't have a publicist scan these tweets. So these were unvarnished thoughts directly from his brain. Some of them were well thought through. Some of them, like buying Greenland, were not well thought through. And every tweet caused a ripple in the in the world. I just don't think Donald Trump understood how his language could have far-reaching consequences and disturb our lives. Uh, you know, I, tr- basically, Trump hasn't been in office in a way for the last few days, and there's silence. Yeah. Uh, Biden doesn't tweet. And I know he will. He'll have the POTUS, uh, President of the United States, Twitter account, and they will, you know, if somebody dies, they'll issue condolences, or if there's a, an earthquake somewhere, they'll do something. But he's not going to give you this un, unfiltered stream of consciousness. So what's going to almost instantly happen is that chatter goes away. And I think as that chatter goes away, then our baseline of normalcy changes. Uh, and and I, I think we're actually all going to be, it's, it's just like, I don't know, you had a barking dog in your neighborhood that barked 24 <laughs> hours a day, and you kind of got used to it, but it, it grated at you, and then one day the dog dies, and there's silence, and you go, wait a minute, this is, this is what normal now really should feel like. And I think that's really going to be the hallmark of the Biden presidency for the next hundred days. It's going to feel really different when, in fact, it is what it should have been, and it was Trump who was the aberration. All right. Yeah, it was interesting. My wife was saying, you know, it's one of those things that uh, people won't realize how strange it was or it is until it is over and they are out of it and reflecting back on it. Imagine you can go a week and you don't know what Mr. Biden is thinking. Exactly. All right. Let's talk about GM. We we chatted way back when when Ford talked about uh, uh, and the government uh, uh, reinstalling, re-equipping its uh, retooling is the word I'm looking for. It's Oakville plant yep. uh, for electric vehicles. Now we're seeing the same thing with GM. Your thoughts on this? Well, I, I've got to go back to the fall. So in the fall, the uh, uh, the auto workers union uh, said we're going to renegotiate with the big three. And our focus isn't really about wages and benefits. It's going to be about getting investments in the Canadian automobile industry, really more precisely the Ontario automobile industry. And my first thought was, well, good luck, Jerry Diaz. You know, we we saw Oshawa 
last year where GM walked away from it. Uh, if you can get them to put a buck into this, you're a better man than I. And lo and behold, mm. he went through three rounds of negotiations, and he got uh, each of the car companies, Ford, Chrysler, and GM, to agree to investments. Stunning. Together, you, it totaled more than $3 billion, the biggest investment in the, in the Ontario automobile industry in 20 years. I was absolutely floored. Earlier this week, we learned about yet another investment. So this is not part of the deal that was struck in the fall. This is net new, and this is the investment of a billion dollars in the Cami factory in Ingersoll to allow it to make uh, electric trucks and, and other vehicles there. So that's on top of a billion that GM is planning to invest in Oshawa to reopen a plant that they had shuttered and also produce vehicles there. More credit to everybody, where, where I thought maybe we were in some risk of losing this as a backbone of our manufacturing sector. I don't know what's changed. I don't know if it's the Canadian dollar. I don't know if it's Trump leaving office, if they, everyone feels more confident with slightly international expansion. But I'm not really questioning it. I'm just basking in the glow of it and thankful for this, this reinvestment. These are going to be great jobs for great people for 20 years to come. Uh, how viable are these products? Um, is, is will there be a demand for these? Will this change? Yeah. Will this change the discussion simply because now we've got these major players on board? Yeah. Well, you ask a good question here. Is the chicken and egg question, isn't it? Are we ahead of the market? Are we keeping up with the market? Or are we trying to lead the market somewhere? Uh, in Canada, electric vehicles, in particular, are are, are less than five percent of the total sold in this country. Most of us still prefer a gas-powered vehicle, and and there are two reasons for that. One is that the amount of time I can drive before I need a recharge. For instance, here in Hamilton, I could probably drive to London, Ontario, and come back on one charge. But if I had to go a little further away, like Windsor or Chatham, I'd need to have some place to charge in between. So there's the problem, number one, is the range. And then the second problem is when I do need to charge to refill the tank, only now with electrons rather than gasoline, it's a much slower process. I can pull over at a gas station, and five minutes later I'm taking off and I'm back on the road. Here I need 20, 30 minutes, and that's given that I have a high-speed charging station to refill the tank. So, you know, we're not quite there with these electric vehicles in 2021 but keep in mind, these investments they're talking about are more 2025 to 2030. And we are expecting that as they work out these, uh, these two constraints with electric vehicles, more people are going to turn to them. Why do we think this? Well, this year that just passed, 2020, 53%, 5053%, 53% of vehicles sold in Norway were electric vehicles. So, you know, we think they're coming, and, and so this is a bit of a chicken and egg. When is the right moment? I don't think it's 2021. It might be 2023. It might be 2025. But I think we are interested in reducing our carbon footprint and buying into these vehicles, either as pure electric vehicles or hybrids that have some combination of gas when we need it and electric when, when we're fine. Uh, but I think they're coming. You're listening to the Scott Thompson Show podcast on 900 CHML. Uh, battery performance, is, as you mentioned, always an issue here. 
um, and and I believe with the Ford situation that they were looking to things, batteries that were be built uh, and resources locally for this, meaning in the province. Um, and some have said about the footprint of an EV, an electric vehicle, versus the footprint of a carbon uh, or, or, or a fossil fuel vehicle. Is there that much difference? Is Are EVs the panacea that environmentalists are hoping it will be? Well, there's a couple of fronts on this. One is uh, where, how do you generate the electricity? In Ontario today, only 6% of our electricity is generated through fossil fuels, and that's primarily the burning of natural gas. We've gotten rid of the coal-fired plants. In places like Alberta and Saskatchewan, coal is a major source of electricity. So if, if you're just burning fossil fuels to get your electricity, electric vehicles don't help you. But again, in theory, Jason Kenney and, and Premier Moe in Saskatchewan have said they want to change their source of electricity to something that is more renewable or, or more environmentally friendly. The other thing to remember is it's more than just the fuel you put into the car. So for instance, um, we, we have oil in a car because we have to, to lubricate all of these pistons that are firing. We need antifreeze in the car because we have to cool those engines. Electric engines run quite differently than a gas-powered engine. So servicing changes, the, the, the use of some of these lubricants, what have you, change quite dramatically. So the feeling is that it's a combination of both the source of the energy and then what you need to make the car operate, which is where the savings can be. Now, I'm the first to tell you I'm not a car guy, and I haven't really researched the engineering side of this down to the nth degree that I can guarantee you that you are you know, 50% better for the environment or 75% or maybe you're only 10% better for the environment. But that does seem to be the feeling. And as we turn to everybody to find the best way to, to live our lives, we're all going to be looking for these better, more, more uh, carbon-friendly sources. And I think these vehicles will be part of it. Now, having said that, uh, GM's commitment is to build trucks there. It'll be the right truck at the right time. If, the, if electric vehicles are not selling in 2025, then they'll probably be building gas-powered vehicles. But the investment's going to happen one way or the other. Uh, and this new GM situation, it's delivery vans uh, as opposed to smaller cars or cars. How important is it for this uh, for EVs to get into this format, to get into vans and trucks and such? Well, I mean, all vehicles, what we're trying to do is do all vehicles. You haven't mentioned it, but transport trucks. I mean, again, the theory is that in the future yep. we're going to have transport trucks that run on electricity. That's what um, our good friend Elon Musk at Tesla, he's, he's saying he's doing work in that field. So we're going to see more innovation. And here's the other thing that's going to happen over the next 10 years. People who make our vehicles won't just be these big three or the international ones like uh, BMW or Mercedes. We believe in this decade that we're in, you're going to see Apple get into the car-making business, maybe Uber get into the car-making business, Tesla is going to expand. For all I know, um, you know, uh, Google might get into this business as well. So I think if you're a consumer, the decade ahead, we may see the most innovation we've ever seen in cars. Glad to hear about the big three. If I'm the uh, industry minister, I'm going to keep my antenna up to make sure some of the ones who are not the big three, but who might get into the market, we get a share of that as well. It, it could be a very exciting and dynamic time in automobiles in general over the next 10 years. I uh, can't let you go uh, without asking you, since we're talking about EVs and, and fossil fuel and such, your thought on the Keystone project being canceled on 
uh, day one of uh, Joe Biden's uh, presidency. Uh, it's on a long list of things that, uh, that that he wants to yep. to start right away. What are your thoughts? What does this mean for uh, the Canadian energy industry? Well, why, why he's doing this is he's trying to signal that his presidency is quite different than Trump. Trump didn't necessarily even believe in climate change. Um, uh, Mr. Biden wants to signal that he does, along with canceling Keystone as he wants to rejoin the Paris Climate Accord, and he wants to say that the United States is going to take actions to live up to this. Remember, the Paris Climate Accord is to take our emissions down by at least 30 percent. It's not a pledge to be carbon neutral, but at least 30 percent. And as Justin Trudeau tried to live up to those pledges here, a lot of people said, well, why are you doing that in Canada if our biggest trading partner isn't doing it? Well, now they're going to be singing from the same song sheet. Having said that to you, it's wonderful to have these goals 10 years, 20 years, 30 years down the road, but there's also the practicality today. We have lots of gasoline-powered vehicles. We've still got planes that need jet fuel. We're still using uh, petrochemicals and feedstocks for plastics and things like that. And, and that Alberta still, still works in that context. So I suspect if I'm Mr. Trudeau, Unlike Mr. Trump, he's doing it behind the scenes, not via Twitter, talking, negotiating, saying, is there some way we can get this pipeline back on track, maybe with a different routing, maybe with some different aspects to it. So what he's going to cancel is Keystone as it is, but I think there is a possibility of a resuscitation, let's call it Keystone Light. There may still be something that can help us out, and for Alberta, this would be big, big news. Marvin Ryder, business professor at the Group School of Business, McMaster University. As always, thanks so much for the time. Be well. I will. Thank you. The Scott Thompson Show, weekdays from noon to 3 on 900 CHML.